0: Hops and Stocks podcast is presented by 100 Spoke Media Group. We encourage our listeners to drink responsibly. Please note, we are not financial advisors. We do not offer or provide financial advice. Y'all got to put these up so I can log in on the other ones when, I, when I'm when i not here so I can just watch.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know, man. Speaking of liability insurance, you're a liability for
0: us. <laughs>
2: hey, man, he only dropped one. One bomb and, and hey, one, I, I scoundrel, one scoundrel, one scoundrel characteristic.
1: Yeah, yeah, he did drop a scoundrel move on us. <laughs> I almost incriminated
0: myself on here. Yeah. To... <laughs>
1: I, I can't wait to drop these tapes at the LA
0: bar. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that, that that paperwork's in order. I live here, man. <laughs> right.
2: Hey, well, we thank you for your time, bro. You. And uh, again, we'll, we'll have a part two and we can dive in more into the real estate game. And uh, I, th- I think the listeners got a lot from you today. Next next time, bring
1: your drink too, man. We need you to pour
2: up.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do a let's do a special uh, Friday Saturday tape, and I I have my henny. It (laughs) won't be hops. It'll be hops and henny. You put me
2: on to that henny and sprite. I I still, I still, I I order that now. That henny and sprite.
0: Oh yeah, it's real slick when you don't want to do too much, but you want to do a little more than what you normally. do.
1: Am I going to set it off this evening, hey, other than myself?
3: Nah, man, you the customary Come setter on. offer. Come on, man. You're the, you're the setter of the office. <laughs> what?
4: <laughs> Did you say the office? <laughs> yeah, he's the setter of the office. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's your name from now on, Blair. <laughs>
3: the setter of the office.
4: I don't even know what that really means, but it's kind of sweet. <laughs> setter of the out
2: Set it off i get to the next time. Um,
1: let's do this. Welcome back to Hops and Stocks Podcast, everybody. This is episode six. You know the name. You know the crew. I'm William Diggs. Fellas, introduce yourself.
2: I'm E. Doug Toler. Doug Toler.
1: E. Doug. Those of y'all watching the video, we got our uh, special guest, Christopher Perry, in the house. Um, he'll be joining us a little later to talk about uh, real estate world and some of the Maneuvers he's made in that world. So we're glad to have Chris. Everybody give Chris a warm welcome. Yeah, that that wasn't very warm, but maybe I can add something. Just know we clapping.
2: (laughs) They they knew he was a scoundrel. They knew he was a scoundrel. They wouldn't be clapping. Uh,
3: You're welcome to defend yourself, Chris. I'm going to say. He's probably going to be our most salacious guest.
2: <laughs> He's also a child, childhood friend, man. Childhood friend as well. Yeah, don't, don't leave he goes anything back at they say. It,
0: man. There's plausible deniability to everything you're hearing right now. He <laughs> <laughs> will
4: take you to court, man.
1: <laughs> well, y'all know what time it is, man. We're going to set it off with the first uh, drink review. we got a heavyweight lineup tonight.
4: Yeah.
3: I'm actually going to kick it off, man, because I'm really, really excited to try this beer. Yeah. Um, so what we have here is right wing brewing, I'm sorry, right brain brewing. And they're out of uh, that state up north that will not be announced or acknowledged on this podcast. Uh, but um, what we got is a spicy brown ale and it's a, oh man, get that off the screen. Brother. <laughs> <laughs> so what we got is a Thai peanut. It's a spicy brown ale. And so it's uh, a 7.9% ABV, and basically it's uh, made out of peanut butter, chili peppers, and coconut oil. And so, according to the to the label, it tastes similar to your traditional pad thai. Um, I'm a fan of pad thai. Not sure if I'm gonna be a fan of pad thai beer, but I'm all for trying new things.
0: So, when you're saying pad thai, are you talking about like uh, the
3: food? Yeah. The Asian food, the noodle, the noodle dish, and so this beer is is based upon pad thai. So okay, wow. So it's brown brown in color, um, like an amber amberish amberish brown. Looks good. It don't smell like pad thai, so we probably working on something something nice here.
4: Excellent pour, though.
3: Just like I do.
2: Was zero head on
3: that pour. See, you're right. Hold on.
4: You mm, want for a double take.
3: Yeah, yeah. Nah, this is good. Um, so what does it say? It says chili peppers, peanut butter, and coconut oil. Um, you get slight heat on the on the initial the initial taste. Uh it's faint, very faint peanut butter. I don't get a lot of coconut oil. Um, it doesn't taste, it's not reminiscent of Pad Thai to me but it is a very flavorful brown eel. Um, sometimes brown eels, in my opinion, don't have a lot of character. Uh, this one is a, I would buy this again for sure. Like this is really good. Um, once again, ripe brain brewery out of that that state that shall go unnamed on this pot. What's the uh,
2: APV? What's ABV? Did you already say it?
3: ABV 7.9. So, you know, it's, oh, okay. it's that, that sweet pot, That sweet spot of, of ABVs for me. Uh, Especially I know for y'all because y'all don't like that that jig taste. I don't particularly mind it, but this is good. This is a good brown ale. Um, I give everything a four, but I'm gonna go ahead and get this one four and a quarter because it's it's it actually, I mean it stands out amongst everything that i reviewed so far. So I'm going four point four point two five out of five mugs. Pretty wow. good. Yeah, that's a good rating, man. Huh.
4: It's out of Michigan.
3: Yeah, <laughs> so, uh,
4: it's the highest. It's the highest rated beer that you've had so far. Oh man,
3: man, you know I what? See. I will go. I will get a Ohio beer out of the refrigerator right now to give a five.
4: I think you you had a you've had a Buckeye Stout before, haven't you?
3: I didn't review it on here. No. Okay. Oh, that that was clearly a, a more a far superior beer. Far superior. <laughs> that beer is probably won fifteen in a row at at any beer any beer time. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so so B dub, you rap you have Michigan beers too?
4: Huh?
2: You rap Michigan beers?
4: <laughs> <Nope>. baseball, <laughs> baseball, basketball, softball, track, whatever.
1: Gik! Wow. He said softball. This, this, this kid, this kid's from Michigan.
4: And he <laughs> really? what he, he
1: what city is it out of?
3: Um, so this if is out of Traverse thing. It's out of Traverse City. Yeah, okay. Um I'm not really familiar with familiar with Right Brain Brewery. Um, a friend that lives up that way brought a bunch of their offerings back, including this one. Um, and so I actually I was I've been holding on to it for a minute to review it on the podcast. But everything I've had from them so far has been has been pretty good. Uh, so if I ever make it up to Traverse City, I would definitely check them out.
2: Do you buy that, Chris? Would you Would you sip on that? Would you try
0: that? I would try it. I'm more of a light beer drinker. Um, but I would definitely give it a try because I do like Thai food. So if it's like a a, a compliment when you're eating, I don't know if that was their angle. Uh, but that would maybe give it a try just based on that because I do like Thai food a lot. You know what? Just just thinking about that element that
3: you brought into it, um, pairing beers with foods, this this would go really good with a, a nice um, spicy pad thai because it, it's the beer's not that spicy, so, a, you know what I'm saying, good palate cleanser, but I like it.
2: That's what's up, man. Who's
4: next? You want me to bring out the goat? Yeah, let's do it,
2: man. <laughs> you, want, you want to save the goat to last? Oh, okay, go ahead. Yeah, man, maybe yeah, we should
4: Let's, say do, that it let's do it last. Let's do it last. Let me just say this now. It's only the goat in my eyes. Like, I mean, it might not be y'all's goat.
1: Yeah, I, 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 got, a, I got a tough question for you when we get to that. I, I go ahead, think, ahead and go ahead and bring before,
3: it up. Before we get to it though, I think is the we the reason why we're saying it's the goat is because we all rate this one fairly high. I believe that everybody rates this fairly high out of what they've had. Um
1: Yeah, and it it kind of started our journey, like we was all on separate beer journeys, but I think this one started our journey as a group. Yeah. This, this beer and this led us kind of down the hole to where we are now today. So and you know, it's always going to hold a special place for all was, of us, I
4: think.
2: It was the introduction, I guess, for yeah, me to craft beer.
4: That's exactly how it started. Like, I took a trip down to Nashville, and Eric didn't have this particular beer. He had, it was a peanut butter stout, but it wasn't this particular brand. Mm. And I uh, cracked it, because I'm normally, you know, like everybody else, when they start their beer journey, like I say, on, on, the, on the page a 4.5, 5% ABV type beer, Corona, Budweiser, you know, Heineken, stuff like that. So when he cracked this one, it, it, it kind of took me back because it was something I wasn't used to. And then he put me on to this particular one that I'm about to review today. And it was just so much better than the one I had previously. So the one I'm talking about now is, is peanut butter, Cup Stout. It's out of Wisconsin from a brewery, of uh, Untitled Art. Now, the ABV on this one is, is 12%. So, yeah, Chris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> it's 12. It's 12 all day. So, you know, one or two of these and, you know.
3: One. One of those for me. Yeah, you, holes
4: in the you, your ollies, you know what I'm saying? So
3: yeah, You started getting up ones. in that that wine percentages when you go over, over 10, 11.
0: Yeah, that's like a glass of wine at 12%. Most that beers are what, 6%? <laughs>
3: Yeah, beat yeah. up. he did some research.
1: He said about five or six.
3: The average.
2: It's a monster.
1: Uh, I know, man. Got you there. got
3: the overkill cup for that pour, man.
4: <laughs> hey, I had to bring out the-, the schooner one more time. He, he
3: trying to let it breathe.
4: <laughs> you need two of those in there. You know where we get these from, Chris? We get these at uh, TJ Chomps in Inglewood. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So I mean, I ain't got to taste it. I already know what it tastes like. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: I mean, you gotta you gotta let the listeners know, man.
0: Yeah. What What's the peanut butter angle? I'm assuming it's a real sweet
4: beer. It's a sweet beer, and that's right up my, right up my alley because, as y'all all know, I like candy. You know what I'm saying? I got bowls of candy here, all types of old school candy. So peanut butter was, and chocolate is like really up my alley. So. This is exactly what it tastes like. It's not overly sweet. Is. Went in for a nice second gulp. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is a good. This is a good beer. Yeah. It's, um, so the peanut butter. That, yeah. I'm, go uh, ahead. My bad. Go ahead. You can taste that peanut butter, and it has a. Uh, it says peanuts and natural flavoring, but all like all you can really taste is that peanut butter. I mean, it's a nice beer right here, man. I, I mean, I give this one. Out of my, it's my sixth review. I give this one a five. It's wow. the five of the on a scale of five
0: out
2: of five out of five mugs. I mean, this, that's your perfect, the perfect beer
0: right there.
4: This is this is the best stout that they produce. They have a whole bunch of other stouts, but this is this is the best one that they uh, on of our has.
0: <clears throat> I mean, you guys have broadened my horizons because you're hitting me with flavors that I would never even think <laughs> to consider. Hey. hey, hey, this this is just the tip
3: of the iceberg, bro. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's the thing that we, we hope to, to do, is to educate people and open their eyes to craft beer, because a lot of people get turned off to it. Because a lot of people's foray into craft beer is usually IPAs. And IPAs, if you haven't built up your palate, most people don't like IPAs out the gate.
1: Yeah, it hits you pretty hard. Yeah.
3: yeah. yeah so you got to get into be. some of these fruit I'll beers, be. some of these dessert beers, a lot of these stouts. Because the stouts drink, most stouts drink like the ingredients. I mean, if it says coffee, chocolate, um, peanut butter, you usually get those flavors in those stouts.
4: And, and one thing I didn't know when I first started drinking stouts is you, when you first start drinking beer, you want to come out and drink everything cold. You want cold beer. But when you drink a stout, you cannot drink it ice cold. You got to let it sit for a little bit so that when you drink it, the flavors come out of it. So when I first started buying these, I used to drink them ice cold. Eric was like, man, don't, don't drink them ice cold. I'm like, man, why wouldn't I want an ice cold beer? <laughs> like, man, you can't drink them cold. You're losing all the flavor. Yeah, you missed wow. some of the love in there. So, would you try to drink them at room temperature? Not mm-hmm. room. I mean, it ain't, ain't got to be sitting for hours, but I let it breathe for like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Maybe like 10, 15, maybe. Yeah. You got to let, let
2: it sit. You got to let it sit.
3: Let it sit. When I open a stout, because I like, I like to know the difference. So, I'll take that first sip out the refrigerator and then I'll pour the glass and let it sit, you know what I'm saying, 15, yeah. 20 minutes. And then that way you get to see the the difference between drinking the beer cold versus letting it sit, and all those flavors get to mesh in. And it's a lot more flavorful, man.
1: I didn't, a, lot of time, a lot of times, that first sip out of the fridge, you're you not even really tasting nothing other than
4: chocolate. Yeah. yeah. Right. But yeah. Once again, Untitled Art Peanut Butter Cup Stout by. All right, so, so,
1: Bida, Bida, my my question for you is: I, I think you probably had the two highest-rated beers on here. So, is that PB uh, better than the Berry Crumble? Well,
4: that Berry Crumble is a what is that an IPA
1: or sour or something? Wasn't it? Or was yeah, it? I can't remember exactly what it is. I, I know it's two different styles of beer, but I'm just saying, you know, you putting the two heads up against each other. Which direction you going?
4: It's I don't know. It it had to depend on like what I was doing or what time of the year it was. Like, I probably couldn't drink this on a hot day. I mean, it's a hot day today, but I'm in, I'm inside, you know what I'm saying? I couldn't yeah. get outside. I would probably, if it was summertime, I'd probably reach for that, that Berry Crumble. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, autumn time, fall, i, I probably
3: probably for that. that. That makes sense. Yeah.
4: Both amazing beers, though.
2: Tell them about uh, Berry Crumble. That's a sounder beer out of uh, Mason, Ohio?
4: Yeah. Yeah, I think
3: we reviewed that one a couple of episodes Yeah, maybe ago. On, that was on the first pod, I think. No, that was on the first pod. Right. Okay. It was. All, All right. right. I'll, so, I'll go next. Well let, well, let me
1: hop in, man, because okay. since, since you were speaking of Sonder, I got a Sonder here.
2: Oh, that's uh, what you got? All yeah, right.
1: Yeah, yeah, I got a Sonder here. I got this Kato Latte. It's a barrel aged coffee ale. Um, you know, check it out or whatever. Um, it pours pretty, pretty light, pretty light brown. Um, it's got an amazing smell. For, for those of y'all that like, um, what is it called? E? Bourbon. Y'all, Bourbon. Would, y'all would probably prefer these barrel-aged ones. Uh, this one is an interesting mix of uh, the barrel-aged beer and coffee. I, w- I want to read the description for y'all because they, they laid it out so crazy. It says, Cato Latte consists of a blend of four Imperial Blondes aged in Basil Hayden barrels for 15 months and rested atop fresh roasted creme brulee flavored script coffee beans, beaming aromas of dark fruit, blackstrap molasses, and bold roasted coffee, all intermingled with flavors of light coconut, vanilla, and warming coffee. Who wouldn't want that? Yeah,
3: I'm about to say, that makes, that makes me want to drink that. Like, <laughs> you know I mean?
1: want to drink that now. <laughs> I need that
4: right now.
1: Who wouldn't want it? So I'm, I'm going to go on and take this sip, see what we're working with.
4: I want to see your live pour.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really good, man. He, uh, again, you know, y'all you know I like the coffee one. So you definitely get that coffee, but you also kind of get that, that that bur- you definitely get the bourbon smell and you get a little bit of that bourbon taste. Um, It's not heavy on the bourbon, um, but you can tell it's a barrel aged. And uh, for those that don't know what barrel aged is, I'm, I'm going to try to give it, you know, the best description I can. E, you can jump in here because I know you're more experienced with it. But uh, barrel age is basically when they, you know, take the beer and produce it and then they put it in a bourbon barrel and they basically age it, which is let it sit for, you know, hour long, like this one said, 15 months. And I guess when the beer is sitting, it's also kind of taking on the characteristics of that barrel, which has, you know, some of the sweetness from the bourbon still in the wood. And then you you come out with a, a totally different product like this was supposed to be blonde or it was blonde when they made it. But as you can see, it ain't blonde no more. This is a nice dark color. So that's
3: kind of what barrel aging is. And e, if you want to add anything to that, feel free. Uh, that's that's exactly what it is. Um, a lot of times they do it for a year. So you get to hit all four seasons um, and like that barrel to get to sweat and things like that and the heat and humidity and it releases those flavors into that beer. Uh, like you said, barrel aged stuff is some of my, my favorite stouts, because just the the flavor of them is is really really complex. Um, I like bourbon, so it's it's right up my alley.
1: And I think too, uh, this 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 is an acquired taste because the first time I had a barrel aged, I didn't really like it because it tasted so much like bourbon. You know, it it kind of threw me for a loop. But the second time I had a barrel aged, I, I treated it different. I was like, all right, I'm not just gonna pour this and try to chug like a beer, I'm gonna, you know, take this one slow. And I, I enjoyed it a lot more when I treated it in a different manner. And um, that's kind of how I'm doing this one. Uh, I poured it early so it could sit and warm up a little bit. Man, I, I think I'm gonna go with four and a half on this
2: one. Wow.
1: The only the only drawback on this is the ABV is a little low. It's uh, it's under 5%.
4: Ooh. Where's it out of again?
1: Uh, Sonder out of Mason.
3: Okay. That's odd for a barrel age. You
1: yeah, I mean, I mean the, the, the ABV is not on the can, so I, I got my info off of untapped. So, okay. you know, it could be wrong, but... Yeah.
4: Mm. It's a good beer resource right there, untapped.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess I guess if we get halfway through this thing and I'm slapped, y'all will know it ain't 4.9. <laughs> it was 15.4. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
4: man.
3: It was 8.
4: Duh, well,
2: I, guess, out here, I guess I'll bring it home with the... Uh, the homegrown. We all from Dayton, Ohio, so I'm gonna uh, try yeah, Hermel's, it's the Hermel's Warpwing Cream Circle. It was it was hot today so I figured just a you know just a the feel as far as APV, it's only 5.4 APV. Um, some of the notes that you have in this will be orange, um, vanilla, and it has um, a spice, a spice note in it. So let me crack this.
3: Can opener over there. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I say it's gonna start <laughs> a <rhyme or> <laughs>
4: Doug put Come it on. in the skin on a can opener.
2: <laughs> oh hey, that was somebody else's.
3: Nice I like item. the mug. I like the mug. Yeah, man. Doug got his own personal hops and stocks paraphernalia. Yeah. Hey, so so
2: Chris, you like that light, that light color. That might be up your alley.
0: Yeah, that that looks a little bit more comfortable for me, just the look.
2: Nice notes coming off. Good aroma. Get the orange right off the back. I'll t- take, take another
0: one, man. Uh-oh. I don't know if that was you good or bad. Did. I mean, you didn't <laughs> take a big enough goat to start with. <laughs> that looked kind of <laughs> sus. It's the home uh, team,
1: man. Don't 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 fish on the home team. I mean, I I'm, 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 I'm gonna
2: be, be honest, honest, man. I'm be I'm gonna be be 100. I'm gonna be honest. It's a it's a Belgian ale. So it's it's calling itself a Belgian style cream ale. And I'm I'm getting the cream, and I'm also getting the ale, but you know the the orange note uh, is is missed. It need an orange
0: slice. slice? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, that may that may do, but
0: you need a blue, right blue? off
2: the right out the can.
1: Yeah, you won't be right. Yeah, I mean that, that look says it all, man. <laughs> yeah, I man. Mean,
2: I, <laughs> I guess you are going with expectation and it, it, it didn't meet the expectation. Yeah, yeah. I would have to give this, you know, um three and a half out of five, man. I mean, you know, Warp Wing, all respect to the hometown Dayton Brewery, but you yeah, like that it. half
0: is all hometown love.
2: Yeah, that's
0: all it is. That's, that's like all it is.
2: Now, will, will I finish it? Yes. Yeah. Will the six get finished? It'll get finished. But, yeah. you know, I, I may not be going back.
0: How far
3: is it right now, though? Like, is it really cold?
2: And see, that was my dilemma. Well, be- Belgian ale, I, you kind of want those kind of chills. So it, it is cold. That's so, cool. yeah.
1: I mean, I'm still yet to have. I mean, this this probably makes three now. No, no creamsicle has lived up to the billing.
3: I'm not a fan of creamsicle in general. So when I see them flavors, I'm like, yeah, no. Nah. Well, I think
2: I was attracted to the you know the the orange note. Yeah, because who yeah, doesn't I'm, like, I'm like you man,
1: know,
2: it, orange? Well, Orangey shit.
1: If you call yourself orange Sickle, <laughs> man, you you got to hit all of the notes.
2: And it I'm, seems like the orange. I mean, you, like you, right? you you smell the orange a lot better than you taste it. And that's not, you know, that's that's not, I'm sure that's not what they're looking for. They're looking for the taste, not the aroma. You know, it's not a candle.
1: I'm <laughs> <Man>, bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing worse than a, you know, mist. But, you know,
2: 3.5. We'll leave it at that. You know, what's
4: that, what's every, everything
2: can't be a home run. Um, the price,
4: yeah,
2: it was. It's 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 served up as a six pack. It's a ten dollar, ten dollar, uh, nine ninety nine. So it's not you know you're not you're not paying for a lot of. It's not real expensive, but you know right. you 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 want to get you want to get hometown some love sometimes. So I, I thought I give them some love. Warp wing out of in Ohio. You know, what I'm saying try something else. Don't try that.
4: It's probably like Rockham Park right cool. with
2: the with the with the ten dollar beer, though six pack right? Yeah, yeah. You know this this is not coming out the honey hole. This this didn't come out the honey hole. This wasn't a a pick. This was a you know Meyer pick, and uh, straight might off be your, might be your
1: problem right there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the honey
4: hole, we went wrong right
3: there. Hey, uh, hold, on, hold on, We got hold a on, question. We have a question. We have a question. The,
2: the honey hole, hole is where we where we go to find like the exotic craft beers that we. That you just heard about in, uh, in the, the previous three uh, tastings. So, you know, the honey holes will be anywhere we can go and just maybe uh, find something that has you know, higher APVs, um, craft with different notes. Something Anything else y'all want to add? Huh?
1: Yeah, something something unique and it's really really it's, easy unique, right. know, it's, it's your favorite your favorite spot to go cop beer. Cop beer. Okay.
2: A
3: lot maybe of are
0: singles,
3: so you don't have to commit to the whole four or six pack. Um, those are your best honey holes, places that sell singles, so you can just try a variety instead of of spending twenty bucks on a four pack you might not like. Some people like other
2: elements of
1: the honey hole (laughs) too.
2: Oh
4: other than a brew element.
2: I haven't been I haven't been in a while. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I mean, you knew, that, you knew that was for you.
2: <laughs> no, I'm just telling you I haven't been in a
1: while. <laughs> no, <Nah>, but <man. Yeah. laughs> you knew that was for you. I knew exactly who it was for. <laughs> what up, Karan? Yeah.
3: No, I was going to say stories. Oh, oh, okay, Hold on, go ahead. How you doing?
0: You say, say Karan just came on? Yeah, yeah. He's been on for a little bit. Now I see him. What up, Karan? Can't Still- hear you, man.
4: You be having Groundhog Day every time you get on Zoom, man. You forget everything <laughs> every week. <laughs> yeah, we still
3: can't hear you. We're having technical issues, so, so- Quran. oh <laughs> yeah,
4: we got, to, huh? we got to keep on saying what up, Quran. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> so,
2: so you know, so you know, you haven't responded.
4: We <laughs>
1: have to move into the next segment. Once again, sound is,
2: is butter. You
1: <laughs> <All right. laughs> right, picked the wrong night to not have sound. The wrong guest. Right.
2: <laughs> All right, well, look, um, I will go ahead and go to the next segment. This segment, um, listeners, is um, one of one – of, uh, it's a real interesting segment in, in terms of investing, and, and we'll bring it in as a also maybe something that you can see, maybe deem as a – well, just an investment. So when, when we're talking about uh, real estate, so our next guest is going to uh, give his background and, um, and some of the moves that he's made out in L.A., in terms of um, real estate investments and his investment property. So I'd like to introduce uh, Chris Perry. Uh, What's up Chris Perry, how you doing man?
0: Hanging in there man. Um, You know, I think you hit the nail on the head um, with the way I view real estate, it's an investment. And I don't think unless you are talking about (laughs) um, your forever home that you are gonna be looking to call it quits in and, and play out the side should always be looked at as an investment because for what 80 90 percent of americans your home is your largest uh asset uh so viewing it as an investment for me is just kind of a rule of thumb and um just by way of, of background and introduction and and partial disclaimer um I, i'm a lawyer by trade and uh like like many people you know um i take the spoils from, from my um, primary profession and look to, to invest it so I can grow the money that I'm earning uh, from my career um, and have it working as I'm working. Uh, and, I, and I found real estate to be one of the most practical uh, uh, ways of doing that. And it's also, you know, it's easier for me to digest than the market and actual stocks. Right. Are, although an asset's an asset and there's many things that are similar uh r- real estate just uh seems to be a little bit more digestible for me in, in that regard and so um you know first time I made some money second time I made some money um, I wanted to park it somewhere because one thing you have to be keen of particularly out here in California are tax consequences and um if you don't create some so some tax shelters for your money out here. It, it gets really prohibitive, and uh, you know that's one of the good things about real estate is that it provides a lot of tax benefits. Uh, particularly when you start um, renting them out, and you know you're writing off depreciation. Um, there's so many things throughout the year that you're able to write off uh, onto your properties um, or whatnot. And so it serves multiple purposes. And one thing I always say about real estate, which makes it a little bit different than than your average stock or whatnot, is that real estate plays on multiple fronts. And by that, I mean, um, if you you find yourself a good piece of property, you should make money on it every year in the form of appreciation, right? Particularly (laughs) in Southern California in certain markets. And, you know, let's say you're getting... Three to six percent appreciation. That's great because you can park the money in the market, do a quote-unquote safe investment, and if you're getting five percent, six percent, not being too aggressive, there's nothing wrong with that. But when you're talking about real estate, I mean, absent some <laughs> something catastrophic happening, it really is a safe place to put your money, and you you're going to have insurance on it as well. You don't have no insurance on on stocks, so appreciation uh, is one. Uh, aspect of the income that you get with investment properties the second which is more obvious if you're renting it out you get the rental income so now you have this single asset and we're talking about two streams of income well one stream of income being the the rental proceeds the appreciation right and then the third are the tax benefits there just aren't too many things or too many assets that you're going to acquire that can play on that many fronts simultaneously and so that's why I kind of like real estate because it's, it's the Swiss Army of investments. Um, and, you know, it's got an ounce progression to it. Um, one property um, can lead to two, you know, and then two can lead to four. It just depends on uh, how aggressive you want to be with it, uh, how much time you have to allot to it, uh, what your other ventures are. You know, I, I consider myself pretty... Uh, Conservative and moderate with it, actually. Although I've, I've had multiple properties, uh, because you know you don't want to spread yourself too thin. Now uh, you have some people that all they do is real estate, and so that's a different ball game, so to speak. But the principles are all the same. Uh, and so you know, whatever direction you guys want to go in terms of um, want to hop right into the, the investment aspect of it and the, the rental side of it, or you know whatever pitfalls you guys want to try and cover, just let me know.
2: Yeah. So when you talk about principles, the, the, the principle of buying low, selling high, is, is that one of your primary principles that you look at? Because I know you were looking into possibly getting rid of a couple of properties as we spoke a couple of weeks ago or a few, few months ago.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's like any other asset. Ideally you want to uh, uh, buy low and, and sell high. Uh, however, you know, real estate, particularly if you're going to, do it on on the long term and you want to create rental income to some degree you you just hop in right because if you if you wait on a dip. You know property, particularly in certain areas, it's usually a slow climb upward now there'll be some corrections here and there, but I've seen people try to sideline it and well you waited three four years. And that property that you could have got for 400 is now 5 and some change. So, uh, to some degree, I say get in when you can. Let the appreciation take care of itself. And if you bought a good piece of property, uh, you maintain it well, you sh- you're going to sell it for more than you bought it. You see what I'm saying? Because exactly. that's the progression of real estate. You don't have to be as keen as you do with a stock where it's like, oh, that just bottomed out. I got to go buy it now because that's how you play that game. This I say, don't worry so much about where you're getting in because if done right and held properly, you're going to sell for more. And so let's say you hold a property for, um, I don't know. Well, let me back up a little bit. What I'm saying get in, there's some research you got to do before that, right? So if if you want to, um, if you're buying a place strictly to uh, uh, rent it out, you got to make a couple decisions. Am I going to do a conventional sort of thing where I'm uh, looking for the 12-month uh, lease, or am I going to try and do uh, something a little bit alternative and maybe do uh, short-term uh, rentals uh, 30 days or more, 30 days or less? That's going to somewhat dictate uh, your initial price point, right? Because if it's an investment property, unless you're buying it all cash. Well, what do you have to do? You got to cover the mortgage. You got to cover the insurance. You got to cover the taxes. Taxes. And so you, you know, I would suggest you do some research on the rental value, wherever you're buying and kind of run your numbers and make sure you're going to, what I call, cover your nut, uh, and probably make some profit. Uh, and, and that really will dictate, you know, your, your entry price point, because if you're saying, "Hey, I'm I'm just you know I want to throw somebody in there for 12 months," uh, that's going to yield a smaller return, but you know it's a it's a little more consistent. You don't have to worry about it. The, the admin on it is a lot less, right? So you might just go that route, but it's it's a slower play uh, in terms of what you're going to get every month off of it. But you don't have to worry about it for 12 months to you or however long that person stays. And right. Covering your nuts, then so be it. Now, if you want to make a little bit more and be more aggressive, you want to go with the, the short-term rentals. Now, that requires a lot more admin, but the, the, the margins are just, uh, they're wildly different. So, for instance, I got a, a place out in uh, Woodland Hills, and if I was to um, do a conventional uh, uh, 12-month lease, I probably would be able to rent that place, call it 2200 bucks, right? But with that particular place, instead of doing the conventional 12 month uh, sort of rental rental situation, which I did for years with that place, I switched it over to the short term uh, uh, rental. And I put it on VRBO, Airbnb, uh, Zillow, various sites like that. Long story short, with that place, um, at 17 days booked out the month, I'm covering everything. Uh, at 30 days, I'm doing about 3,800. So if the place is full for the month, I mean, you can do the math, 2,200 versus 3,800 is, yeah. I mean, that's just, that's wildly different. But it's like anything else in life. Anything that you chop up and sell in shorter increments, you're going to make more. You sell things in larger increments, the price goes down. Um, and so, you know, for me, those, the, the margin was just, too great to to not explore it and go that route and then um you know it came with a lot of uh admin but it's got some other benefits too where the 12 month doesn't require the weekly daily sort of admin and the short term you got to have you know your cleaning crew you got to have supplies it's just it's more like running almost a, a hotel uh, somewhat but one thing i will say uh, for anybody that would have reservations about it, think about it like this. Um, the house you live in right now you probably get it cleaned uh, every couple weeks maybe every other month something like that. Well with the short-term rental you get a professional cleaning after each booking. So let's say you get three people that want to book for uh, I don't know 10 days a piece right in a month. After each of those bookings you're going to get a professional cleaning at your place and it's built into the fee that they pay and it has a way of preserving your property that is I mean unbelievable because most homes just don't get three professional cleanings in a month I don't care <laughs> who you are unless you, you know living the high life and you got a uh, live in made or something
4: hey, uh, Chris, how do you how do you go about vetting the people who rent your properties as far as like a Airbnb wise like All they got to do is get on a website and just they can just if they got the money, they can just go ahead and book it. How do you know
0: if you're on VRBO, Airbnb or any of those sites, uh, you do have the opportunity to vet the person that wants to rent your place. You're not obligated to. Right. Uh, And you got to develop a system. You know what? I, I like to ask them, what are they coming for? You know, business, vacation or whatnot. How many people in your group ages? Uh, and a lot of that will inform, you know, once you start putting that information together, if it sounds like a good booking or if it doesn't, also, you can decide to where you only want to rent to people that have reviews. And the good thing about that is, you know, if somebody has got stellar reviews, I mean, those reviews are from previous people that they rented from. Mm-hmm. So it's just like any other track record and credit. It kind of speaks for itself. And, you know, you people want to be able to stay and use that, um, that, that that uh app so if somebody lo- likes uh, vacation and they want to use vrbo they might be a little bit more mindful of how they treat your property because they don't want to get a bad review yeah you, right? lose and rate you lose your rating you're gonna lose your ability to rent right and nothing's 100 percent but you know there are safeguards you can put in place that give you a, a higher chance of avoiding that nightmare scenario and I've, I've been at it now for i don't know how many years now i lost count but you know, quite honestly, um, I haven't had the nightmare scenario where I get somebody that's just a total going to party and I got to call the cops. But, but, you know, for lack of better words, I I do discriminate. You know, I <laughs> don't just, I don't take this anybody. And I allegedly oh, hey, well, discriminate. Allegedly. 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 You,
1: need, you, know, you, need to, you need to rent your place, one of your places out to them Hops and Stocks boys and see what we do.
3: <laughs> so, Listen, I got I got a question about the property. Is the property that you wouldn't rent out in Woodland is that a condo? It is. Was it ever your primary re- residence, or did you buy it specifically for investment?
0: And you know what? You just touched on something that I was going to kind of dovetail back to. Okay. Because initially I talked about if you buy a property specifically to to uh, as an investment property. Well, usually that's going to be your third or fourth purchase. The way most of us get into it is you buy a place, right? This is condo that I renting out in Woodland Hills was the first property I ever bought. And to answer your question, I lived there, right? So um, you got that place, uh, you live in there, then you make some more money, you decide you're gonna buy a house, right? But you don't wanna get rid of your condo. So that place that once was your uh, primary residence becomes your first rental, right? So with that one, you, you weren't as strategic as you will be buying your other rentals because you kind of, um, uh, it, it became your rental property or investment property yeah. somewhat by default. Yeah, you didn't have a choice. Right. And, you know, oftentimes with those, all you want to do at that point is cover your nut because you're like, okay, well, I put 20 some odd percent down. I lived there for five years, so I'm already that far into the mortgage as long as I got somebody paying the mortgage on that, that'll cover the taxes and insurance, you, you winning, right? Yeah. And you get getting your appreciation. So that one, you're not sizing up the same as the other property. Like I'm only buying this to make money out the gate. So that's somewhat, those are two different ways you go into a rental property. Um, with the latter being the more hardcore investment because it's purposeful. The, the, the initial one where you live there, you're just trying to hold on to it. But if you purchased it and got a good interest rate, or you can refinance it, you can always widen your profit margin. And again, I rented that place in Woodland Hills conventionally with a 12-month lease uh, for, I think it was nine years, 10 years, and I, which is great. So, you know, the mortgage got paid for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, however... When things went bad with that tenant, it, you talk about nightmare scenario, and and there's not much you can do in that that case. Person's been there, um, you know, w- went left, stopped paying, had to do an eviction or whatnot. When I retook possession of the place, had to do do a remodel on it or whatnot. But ten yeah. years, you know, I was pretty still, good though, pretty good. Pretty, you know, team, that, that, that's kind of where that's I'm a good thinking, run. I got I got
1: a similar situation, so. I'm, I'm kind of landlording it, but uh, I, he he kind of changed my mind about it because I was like, man, I don't want to be landlord forever. But he he told me, man, like you know, if you're covering your mortgage, you know, you straight, and eventually it's gonna turn into profit. So I it switched my whole mindset around about it. I was I was like down in the dumps about the thing, and um, you know, with the recent uptick in the market, like I got cats all the time hitting me up, like, hey, you trying to sell for this for this? I'm I'm like you know, you got, you got to bring that number up now if you're trying to do it. <laughs> right.
0: yeah. I definitely wanted to mention that, that situation, because, you know, when I, where I talked about having been able to avoid the pitfalls on, on the short-term rental side, um, you know, nothing is ever perfect. And so I, I hit a major quote unquote pitfall on the 12 month side. Um, and, you know, I haven't gone back that route, but each one comes with its pros and cons and, um, not, one is not better than the other, per se. Um, it just really comes down to your individual situation and, and what you uh, can, can allot your, your time to and, and what you need in terms of a return or whatnot. But it's, it's more than one way to skin that cat. Another thing to consider right now, though, um, which is scaring a lot of people off of the uh, conventional 12-month lease, these eviction moratoriums and things of that nature that are going on around the country. I know we still have it here in California and I know people man who uh, have properties right now who have conventional 12-month renters in there who haven't collected no rent in 18 months and they cannot. You know uh, it was just a blessing that I uh, transferred out of the traditional uh, lease And found myself in the short term to where I, you know, when when you rent to somebody on a short term rental, they don't have any sort of, they don't get to establish any sort of tenancy. So if they stay a day beyond where they're supposed to be there, it's a trespass, right? So it's it's not like you got to do an unlawful (laughs) detainer. I mean, I was so happy once once the uh, COVID hit to not be in that vulnerable situation because, you know, unlawful detainer, man, can be a... very tough, and if you get a sophisticated squatter, man, it can take six months to get them out of there. <laughs> hey, you caught it. A, is, a sophisticated. You know, it <laughs> yeah, well, that just no happened, question, that just
2: happened in the news. That just happened in the news lately. Um, this this young lady was she she entered um, a, a short term, which was probably more of a vacation than um, the tennis were, were able to. <sighs> Finagle, they were way into getting her to do just a um, outside of whatever program they were using. So they were they weren't using fur, um, fur boring anymore or any other um, outlet. So they just started doing a one on one. And once she started doing that one on one, receiving that cash one on one, they became tenants. So she couldn't evict them because thirty days she would have to give them thirty days to find a new place, and she yeah. was just she was just looking to. You know, saying maybe get a little extra cash from them and they squatted they squatted on her and she she had to come out the pocket just to get them out her crib it was crazy it was on the news she was walking around her apartment while the squatters were going through her refrigerator and she couldn't do nothing about it
0: man it gets so crazy and disrespectful when you're doing an eviction i've only had to do it once in about uh, let's see here uh i don't know it's been well over a decade that i've been doing this i only had to do it once but you know, when somebody's in your property and they're being so bold and defiant that they ain't gonna come out of it, it, it can take you to some bad places, man, because, you know, you like, hold on, man, we don't have to do this this way. And then, <laughs> you know, you get to, uh, and then you start seeing the money that it's costing you. So, you know, uh, that's just something for people to keep in mind in this day and age. I don't know uh, that some of these, rent and protections are ever going to go away. You really need to make sure you get uh, up to speed on your state's laws. It, it varies so drastically now. Um, you know, for instance, if, you, if you're in Texas versus California, hey, man, you're playing a different game because your state county laws are, are going to be so different. So you got to study up on that if you're going to go to a conventional route. Because if you're in certain states, whether it be New York, California, I think, um, oh, Washington is insane. Uh, 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 Oregon, you know, you, you really want to give it a second thought because the, the laws are so renter friendly that if you get a bad long-term tenant, it, it could turn into a, a real nightmare. And regardless where you are, hey, man, when you talk about vetting, uh, uh, potential renters, man, make sure they got and don't budge. Don't budge on it. Make sure they got two months plus security. Period, period. And make sure their credit score is where you want it to be. Employment and do not let anybody, you know, uh, talk their way in. Let the paperwork be it. Because sometimes you'll meet somebody to do a showing and they'll seem nice and yeah. Just let the paperwork be dogmatic about it because. Um, it's just, once you I wish get
1: them. I, I wish I had that advice back in, you know, back in the day. I, I could have used that advice.
0: Yeah, yeah. W- once you get them, you're stuck with them. But uh, <laughs> one, one thing that you mentioned, blast, is, uh, you know, what we've seen over the last really, I guess, about 15 months now is this unprecedented appreciation. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, Doug, you and I were talking about this when I was back home. But what we're seeing right now, it, it's never never been like this. I mean, prices are insanely out the roof. And what what's so crazy is that because the prices have gone so high, you know, a lot of people that would put their homes on the market are not because they're like, well, if I sell, where would I go? And so it's yeah, actually- it,
1: it, it costs that
0: much more just to buy. It's yeah. reduced inventory, which pushes the prices higher. Uh, and so, you know, there's a, a couple of other artificial things that are in play too, because the foreclosure moratorium, I think that accounts, last time I checked, the inventory nationally will strike that. I think it was about 2.5 million homes that are 90 days delinquent or more. These are people that otherwise would go ahead and put their homes on the market because they don't want to foreclose or they'd be at the cusp of foreclosure. And you, you keep your balance in terms of supply and demand, but these artificial things that went into place because of COVID really are only fostering what is really a, a, a false market i mean th- this can't continue yeah I mean, it, it really yeah. can't
3: i live here in nashville <laughs> the the housing price is ridiculous and i'm in the market to buy and uh so i live in and around downtown and so for three you you're getting one bedroom one bath loft style condo 500 square feet like that's all and that's all you're getting so three hundred thousand doesn't even go no nowhere down around these parts. Um, you got to be up around 350, 400 So I was talking to a realtor the other day, and I was asking him. I was like, "Is now a good time to buy?" He was like, "If you want to get in and, and ride the equity," he said, "It kind of depends on what your your strategy is. If your strategy is to to get in long term, he said, probably not. He said, but if you just looking for something two three years, probably so, because you'll still be selling that." probably the top of the market but as you was talking about the foreclosure moratorium that inventory should open up in the next 12 to 18 months so if you're looking to buy and invest your best bet would be fourth quarter 2022 um, into 2023 because all those all that inventory
0: is going to come available because people are going to get foreclosed on and the fed is going to have to drop the interest rate that's the that's the that's the other primary Driver of the uh, appreciation right now, and what's you know when interest rates are low, people can pay for more home, and right now the interest rate is so low, and the, they keep they're keeping it low uh, to try and keep this economy, uh, I guess, strong and on paper. But the the, the interest rate is going to have to start rising. That's probably going to happen in the next eighteen months or whatnot. But uh, all these things, be it the the moratoriums, uh, the interest rate being just driven. To, to damn near zero, it's created a boom like we've never seen. and There are some ways to take advantage of it. Um, for people who own one home, I don't think this is the time. Um, if you're looking to, to buy, if it's going to be super long-term, because you, you're buying at the top of the market right now, uh, but if you're going to live there, um, you, know, you, you can ride that out. Um, But what's really happening right now is, for so for instance, the homes that are appreciating the most are like um, upper middle class to really nice homes. I mean, the nicer the home, the the, the higher the price is going right now. You got certain stuff like a one bedroom, one bath, two bedroom, two bath. They're seeing appreciation right now, but it's only going to appreciate so much, right, because of what, what it is. But if you're talking about a, a house that's situated in a certain place, it's already kind of on the high end. People are paying well over uh, uh, what those houses would, would normally go for. So so, kind of, go ahead. so are
2: you suggesting that their equity margins are, are going to be a lot lower in, in two to three years because those appreciation values, because things can depreciate. So are you are you suggesting that they may be upside down? Because that right there is is also potential.
0: Oh, yeah. At some point, you listen, oh, this is how it goes, Doug. It's a wave. Somebody's gonna get caught holding the back. Right. 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 <laughs> Somebody is going to a group of people, a whole slew of people are going to buy at the top of the market. There will be that correction. And they will spend some time upside down. Now, can they survive that if they stay there long enough? And I think what E described was, hey, you buying right now while the market's hot, and you're saying it's going to be hot a little bit longer. So I'm just going to buy now, and then it's going to appreciate over the next six, seven months because we haven't hit the peak yet, and I'm I'm going to cash out based on the the equity and appreciation. I mean, that's trying to time the market, which you know, if if you're skillful enough, um, real real estate can be a little tricky in that regard. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Some people you got plenty of people, not just some. Plenty of people is going to end up upside down. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So one thing I tried to do here recently um, to to take advantage of this, and I would I would suggest anybody that can uh, give it a try. You know, if it fits your sensibilities, because these these numbers. Are, are insane and it's a chance to grab cash at a rate that um, you know, I, I don't know if we'll see it again uh, like this, but. Um, I wouldn't do it with, with my primary residence, but if you got multiple uh, investment properties, um, you know, right now might not be a bad time to sell one of them, particularly if you're going to sell that place. Um, let me see here trying to do some numbers really quick. Um, because I just let one go and uh, just. Yeah, I was say. curious it's what you
1: recommend as a good time to sell.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, it depends. Um, it depends on what you're selling. I wouldn't sell my primary right now.
1: Yeah, not, not primary. <laughs> I'm talking about rental. But
0: um, so, for instance, I, I sold a property that I hadn't rented for about five years in that five years um, made probably 10% on my principal um, each year in rental income, um, took my write-offs or whatnot. So it had been fine for those five years. I mean, cause 10% is, you know, that, that's really good on an investment annually. Uh, I, I'm happy with six for real, but uh, because of this housing boom and the way the numbers went out there, It was like, well, I could stay on the role that I'm on right now, right? And in probably another, I don't know, five years, uh, I could have made what I made in one sale. So by selling, because of how much it appreciated and how astronomical these numbers are, they're really artificial, that one sale, you're making what you would have made over the course of six years. and renting and the time value of money says go ahead and, and grab that money that's a no-brainer
2: that's a no-brainer
0: well, i mean it, it, i can see why somebody might think differently but um all that to say so i went ahead with that particular property and just pulled that pulled that money out because it was just it was just too high however you got to have a strategy you can't just do it by saying hey i'm about to just snatch some money because there's consequences that come with that too right, right. um now, if you're if you're older, if I was 20 years or older and I'm like, you know what, I'm just about to grab this money, I'll pay my taxes, I'm riding off in the sunset, that's one thing. But at our age, it still had to be done strategically, right? You can't just go grabbing money willy-nilly. You got to have a plan for it. So what I did with that particular property uh, was sold it and entered it into a 1031 exchange. And I think that's what Doug and I have been talking about when I was mm-hmm. at home. And at 1031 is a it's basically a government it's an IRS creation whereby you can sell a property that's an investment property uh and you don't have to pay any of your capital gains taxes on it state or federal right because you know if you go sell that place let's say you make 300,000 on it you're gonna have to pay taxes now you know and that that's real yeah you know whatever your tax uh consequence is but the 1031 is a program where you won't have to pay any capital gains taxes. Now, to pull off a 1031, they give you a 45-day window. uh, And within that 45-day window, you have to identify uh, up to, I think it's three other properties where you're gonna take your sale proceeds and use them on these other properties. And the money, you know, when you sell a house, it's an escrow and then the escrow company sends you your money. When you do a 1031, there's a separate entity that the money goes to and they hold your funds for the 1031 exchange, right? So once you identify your new properties, you know, that's where your money will run through. But anyway, long story short, you get 45 days to identify up to three properties uh, and you get six months to close on on one of those properties Uh, and you have to buy a property or multiple properties, at an amount equal to or above what you just sold to avoid all the tax consequences. But if you come somewhat below, whatever you do spend is still tax deferred. So I mean, it's a it's a great way to avoid capital gains taxes. Now, you know, just anecdotally, you
2: don't you know, pocket you don't pocket anything. Everything is going back into you can. the market. Okay, you
0: can pocket right. You can pocket some money, but you're gonna pay a little bit of taxes on you might decide, okay, it's called the boot, right? So let's say you cleared, um, let's call it eight hundred thousand dollars, right? And then you go find a new property. Um, you, you say, okay, I can downside, blah blah blah. You, you find something for six fifty, right? Well, the boot then is going to be that one fifty. So you're going to pay taxes on the one fifty instead of the right. eight, right? That's so you're still going to pocket some good money, right? But you know you're not going to pay as much as you would have because you put it back in. Uh, all that to say, um, and this kind of ties in what we were talking about earlier in terms of how smaller places, you know, your condo style places, really small homes, they don't appreciate as much as your high-end properties. So right now, even with this boom, if you have what would be considered a really high-end property that's some, that has seen this astronomic appreciation, it's a really good opportunity to flip that one property into two, right? You can take the proceeds from that sale and go get you two smaller properties, right? That may not be as high end as the one you had, but now that one has become two. You've diversified. You got, you know, uh, you've been added a whole nother stream of income. And listen, when you talk about the um, the investment side, the, the smaller places, in terms of the, the, the monthly uh, uh, net sometimes can do just as good as the larger places. You know, because people, when people are traveling, you know, they, they get a little one-bedroom, two-bedroom uh, condo to stay in, they're there for a couple of days, they're out, the turnover is a lot higher. My condo stays rented pretty much all the time. And sometimes when you talk about those houses that are in quote-unquote vacation areas, you can have a bit of a lull, right? Because seasons change, people go back <laughs> summer from school, all those things. So, you know, uh, that, that's one thing with the ten thirty one. Right now, it's a good opportunity to um, expand uh, uh, your, your real estate portfolio. That makes sense, yeah. man. Because
2: essentially, what you're doing, you're taking you're taking that proceeds from that from that sale. Like you said, you're diversifying it. And now you were making maybe six percent appreciation on one property. Now you can make six percent appreciation on multiple properties and still pocket a little money, you know what I mean? That's that you that you have to pay taxes on. So
0: yeah, I mean and if you spend it all, I mean, let's say you you made three hundred and you had four hundred in uh because you bought cash the last time well the 300 that you just made on appreciation just because of this inflated market is going buy another place so that's that's you almost didn't even buy that you you know what i mean you it's almost like lucking in it's not lucking into it but the asset paid for that and then you still have your principal 400 because you bought the place out right that goes and buys another place itself so you wrote the that appreciation wave um to to double your, your assets. And like you said, once you get them rolling and, and you get the renters coming in and out, well, I mean the margins are what they are. So if you can catch 10% on two places, 10% on two places is gonna be more than 10% on one. Right. So, that makes sense, man. Two That's questions right there.
3: That's game right there. Two questions. To go back to that 1031, and I think you 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 mentioned it, but just to be clear to the listeners. So under that 1031, and I think your example was at uh, 800,000. So if you bought a property, you know what I'm saying, say it was two properties, and one they were both total 800,000. You could use that whole 800,000 on those two properties, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay.
0: And then
3: and you're, the... not gonna, and you're not going
0: to you're not going to have to pay any capital gains on that eight. Right,
3: because right. you didn't you didn't leave a difference out there hanging out there in cash. You spend it all right. Back... And if
0: and if you buy less. Now, let's say you find you do 675 or, or 725, like Doug said, you do want to put a little money in your pocket, then you pay the boot, which is the difference.
3: Yeah. Right. Okay. And to go back to when you were talking about your condo, because this is something that I've run into, because I'm also looking to purchase an investment property in Tampa, because the real estate down there is significantly lower than Nashville. Um, but what I'm finding is some condos don't allow for Airbnb. And then also some condos, they may allow for Airbnb, but they only allow like a certain percentage. So only you know, 15% of the entire complex can be Airbnb. So when you were doing yours, did you have to check with your, your, like your condo association about how they look at Airbnb?
0: Listen, um, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head there and it, it kind of ties into what I said about study your local laws from your state and county. But then when you're going to talk about getting a condo or something like that, you you better get in tune with the CCNRs, right? Because some CCNRs, and that's basically the binding contract that all owners in a condominium association must adhere to. Some CCNRs don't allow uh, short-term vacation rentals now. Some allow, but it's got to be 30 days or more, right? And then some... Uh, like E said, we'll say, OK, it can be X number percentage in here. And then you need to find out, well, how many do you have? Because these things are going to determine what your options are in terms of renting your property. The other thing, in addition to the, uh, um, the HOAs, your city ordinances. So, for instance, in L.A. right now, if it's not your primary residence, you can only... Do 180 days of short-term vacation rental per year. Technically, now with my one place, because my I did live there at one time, so my DMV still goes there and all that stuff. It is still my primary. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, okay. I, I'm, like my place, I'm grandfathered in, so all the new stuff that they put on, it doesn't really affect me. I can do whatever I want. Scoundrel
3: has shown up.
1: <laughs> nah,
0: listen. <laughs> You you gotta you gotta work through the red tape, but you, you hit the nail on the head, man. I mean, you gotta compare. You gotta cut local. the red tape. Cut it. <laughs> <laughs> you, That's you gotta what compare doing. those laws and you gotta get up on those CCNRs. Now, what the place that I just sold, another thing that went into me selling it is that uh, in that particular city, they are putting a real uh press on short-term vacation rentals because a lot of the people that live there. Are become a little disgruntled and not wanting them or whatnot, and so it, they're starting to try and add and make it more cumbersome, right? And so when you see the laws and regulations regulations changing, you really uh, got to make your move strategic. You you have to stay dialed in with what's going on. I would recommend attending. Um, you know, when when they have these city council meetings, that's where they make a lot of these decisions. Uh, for what's going to happen with the ordinances for uh, short-term vacation rentals. Try and attend those. Uh, Go to whatever site that you list through. They usually have a help center that'll tell you how the winds are changing in your particular area because if you don't stay down in with the regulations, you can get caught in a, a real bad spot. I know some people that just invested in this one particular area, and by the time they closed on the place, the city had issued a moratorium on the issuance of any new short term licenses. So these people bought their place with the intent and forecast to short term vacation rent, but now there's a moratorium. So now all they can do is 30 day or they can do conventional. But if you had to plan a plan of strategy, yeah, you know, so that's something to be mindful of for sure.
2: Man, it's all very good information.
0: Yeah, and, and I mean, you know, like I said, what I'm giving you is, is anecdotal, but experience is the best teacher more times than not. Um, and, again, it's more than one way to skin a cat. It's just you got to do your due diligence. You got to do your, your homework um, and, and make sure you just make a strategic decision based upon the market that you're in and what your, uh, what your investment goals are.
2: Right. And maybe we won't cover it this segment, but maybe next segment, if we have you on for part two, we can talk about how um, how you may acquire an investment property. You know, what are the things that you need to be looking for to acquire investment property? Because I know it comes down to debt to income. So if you if you're looking to get something from the bank, they're going to look at how much debt do you have, how much income, are they going to, how much of that rental income are they going to put toward your 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 personal income? to make it work. You know what I mean? Cause I know, well, you know a lot of those numbers have changed throughout the years as far as DTI and things.
0: And one thing is, um, I mean, that's a whole nother uh, right. uh, thing, but uh, I will say this uh, with, with rental properties and it's it, it's weird that it works this way, but this is just the, the world we're in. It's always easier to get the next one in, in terms of the bank and credit because yeah. you've established, well, they the last for your tax returns, right? And so when they see your tax returns, you're going to, depending upon how you hold your properties, it might be on a Schedule C or it might be, it just depends on how you're holding the properties, but they're able to see what your uh, um, what your return has been on, on your rental properties wow. thus far, right? And they understand that you're buying this one for rental purposes. And so you've developed a, a track record. And I, I found wow. that um, they're, they're actually uh, willing to give you more or they're they're easier to work with with each additional acquisition
2: yeah yeah you know, the, the, we'll the, save, we'll way. save that for next time because that's a that's a very good conversation as well
0: and one thing to think we'll about like that. for instance when, when you get that first crib that you're living in and, and you decide to um to rent it out well hell i mean you you probably got a a decent sized mortgage and whatnot because you only you know you bought it conventionally so, you, you know, that's something where you might say, hey, man, out the gate, I'm going with the 12-month just because I know I'm covered and it's going to help me build up my rental. You, you don't want to take the chance, right? Yeah. Because the short-term game is a little more dicey at first anyway, or will feel dicey. But if you go conventional, you like, boom, okay, I'm going to have at least 12 months where I show them. I've rented it out. I've got rental income, maybe 24 months. And so you establish yourself that way. Now, when you buy that second or third- rental property you might buy that all cash right so when you buy something all cash i say swing for the fences at that point because all you got to do is cover your 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 taxes and and, uh, what insurance right and so you got a little you have more room to be aggressive because you're not as leveraged as you are on that other place you see what i'm saying
2: yeah Yeah.
0: how your leverage can dictate how aggressive you want to be you know or you can just you know go balls to the wild but (laughs) 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 You know, I, 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 would, I would let the leverage kind of dictate the aggression. But, you know, these are all nuances that there are to it, but I, I enjoy it, man. Um, and it's what I like about it is that I, I feel like I can control it anyway because I know what I'm doing. I can be hands-on with it. You have to have a strong, you know, team in terms of uh, all the people you need to make it run right. But once, once you get that in place, to a large degree, it feels like it runs itself. Conversely, you know, when I put money into the market, man, you know, I'm hoping it does well, and I trust, <laughs> you know, I trust the uh, outfit that I'm with, and I've had really good uh, um, uh, results with them. But I don't, I don't know, man. You know, I'm not a stock guy like that, so I'm just kind of, I'm being advised, and I'm taking <laughs> good counsel, but um, you know. My my natural inclination is to want to be a little bit more hands on with my own cheese.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but you know, investment is investment. So, you know, when we look at real estate, it's still an investment. And when we talk about stocks, again, you're putting your money somewhere wanting a return. That's all you want. You want a return. Yeah, yeah stocks <laughs> are a
0: little more volatile though. I mean, oh, yeah.
2: Maybe, I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not debating that at all. A nice hit
0: on Monday, boy.
2: I mean, that's
0: that's really something to keep in mind, man, you know, for people deciding what they want to do with their money. One of the benefits of real estate investment is that it's tangible. You will have a piece of property that you can see, touch. It's not going anywhere until you sell it. Um, Real estate has a proven track record over time. It's going to appreciate. Uh, Now, you can hit some crazy licks in the stock market, but... (laughs) Stock market can be one day smiles next day tears. Man. Real estate's not nearly as volatile. Yeah, I was I was darn near crying on Monday, boy. I mean, to be honest, man, and it's just my opinion. I this is not professional opinion or anything like that, but I think most people uh would probably be best served to make, you know, safe, conservative investments. I think real estate represents that. That stock market, man. Unless you unless you um, are are, are able to withstand um, the ups and downs that come with it, um, it's not for everybody because, you know, you're gonna have to ride the wave. When you talk about
2: stuff that's tangible, you're right, real estate's intangible. So when you, it's it's something you can touch. So even when you're talking about your primary residence, there's things that you could do in your primary residence to bring up that value and get and get a return on that money, you know. So, you know, I'm talking about maybe you know uh, finishing basements or you know redoing <laughs> something, redoing something. I knew he was going <laughs> there. Yeah. Yeah. Redoing, no, redoing something inside your house. No, that's, that's gonna that maybe. right.
0: Maybe. That's a great point. And, and remember when we first started, I was saying real estate. I don't care at what level you purchasing. You should always view it as an investment first. That, that You know, that I tried to make that my first point. Now, my, where I live right now, when I got that place, um, I, was, I, had, I was way more experienced uh, than when I f- bought my first place. But at any rate, um, with that particular home, I bought a place that was, um, I mean, uh, decrepit. You know what I mean? It was like in terrible shape, but obviously got it for a very good price, right? And I had I had some money in my other house, so I knew what I was going to pull out in terms of uh, uh, equity there and appreciation. And so I said, man, the neighborhood was good, right, where I was buying, but this house was fucked up. And so... Uh, I, Dang, you're I making, my, making my job tough, man. I gotta edit this right now. Edit point. Edit point. <laughs> yeah, my 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 apologies, I can't, but, I can't uh, you <laughs> At any rate, I took before before finishing the deal, I took a couple contractors over there and I sized up exactly what it was going to need because it was going to be you know tear it down to the studs and do the whole damn thing. But when I finished the numbers, because of what I was going to be able to get it for, because of what I was moving from uh, um, the house I was living in at that time uh, and because it's another quote unquote primary uh, and I wouldn't have to do the tax thing, if I took basically the money I was making where I was living and put it in there, once I was done with that house, getting it to the level of the comps around it, you making, you, you making money at that point. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But you know, it's it it comes with the. I guess there's risk factor there because you know the remodel could have gone wrong. I guess uh, I could have <laughs> ran out of money. You know, anything, things like that go wrong. But I totally looked at that as an investment, and I'm still there to this day. And that, you know, that I wouldn't sell it because I live there. But um, that was, that's a way where you can make your primary uh, instant investment. Now you got to know right. how to make a home. Make sure it's got the right bones. As bad as that house was, and I might be talking it down a little bit too much. The plumbing was good, um, um, foundation uh, was good. Um, you know, there's certain things you do want to be intact, in but you you can make make a quick investment out of your, where you live in if you if you do it right. Pick the right neighborhood.
2: And make now, do sure. you run the jeopardy? Do you run the jeopardy of maybe? Maxing your house out, so your house is at the top of the the, the comparable lines, you know what I mean? No, I mean... So when we, when, when we were redoing this basement, I was thinking like, well, we don't want to be at the top. We don't want to max out the value where our house is controlling the other values. But if it happens, it happens. I mean, then you will just have to put it up
0: for yeah, that ain't price. No, ain't nothing wrong right, with being top right. dog. Right. I'm uh, <laughs> not in my neighborhood, but... Um, You Listen, I mean, if you can catch a place uh, that's in need of rehabilitation and you have the money to do it, you don't want to put yourself out because while you're rehabilitating that place, you still got to pay the mortgage. You still got to pay the contract. You got to get to the point where it's done. But once it's done and you get that thing reappraised, you've already made the money you put in plus some. And then you have this living in that has an extraordinary amount of value you know what
3: i mean extraordinary yes sir so as we start to wrap up this conversation man we definitely gonna have you back man and you know what i'm saying discuss some more some more pieces of real estate and as well as some other things but for the listeners out there you know that may be interested in investing in real estate what's one thing that you wish somebody had told you going in
0: one thing I wish I would have known uh, going in, um, it would probably be to make sure that um, uh, my rental get get if you're gonna have an investment property, right? Um, you got to have your insurance. That's probably going to be uh, in your mortgage along with your taxes. But you must get rental and liability insurance on top of that, right? A lot of people own uh, uh, rental properties and don't carry liability insurance. And uh, I had a situation with my condo. What the hell happened exactly? Uh, It only ended up costing me a (laughs) couple... (laughs) <laughs> it only cost me a couple grand, man. So you rented something crazy, man. It cost me a couple grand, but my, my rental insurance uh, uh, wasn't at the level it should have been. So all that to say, if you are going to uh, have investment properties and you're going to rent it out, and whether that be conventional, whether that be short-term vacation rental, make sure you carry separate liability insurance. You'll need it. You won't need it until you need it, but when you do need it, you want to have it Um, because without it, you really can can find yourself in in a real bad jam. I found I had a bad situation. Fortunately, the number wasn't you know anything that that sunk me, but I know a lot of people that just skirt it and don't even carry it. You know, so that would be the one thing. Don't hop in that game without your insurance.
2: Hey man, well, we appreciate you hopping on with us. Yeah man, uh-huh. an
1: excellent game tonight, man. We appreciate that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thank, you. thank you. Man, man I, I gotta uh, y'all gotta put these up so I can log in on the other ones when I when I'm not here, so I can just watch.
1: <laughs> well, I don't know, you know man! That? Speaking of know, liability man. insurance, you're a liability
0: for us.
2: And <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, he only dropped one. One bomb and, and hey, one, scoundrel, one
1: scoundrel, one scoundrel
2: characteristic.
1: Yeah, yeah, he did drop a scoundrel move on us.
0: <laughs> I almost incriminated myself on here. Yeah.
1: To... <laughs> I, I can't wait to drop these tapes at the LA
0: bar. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that, that that paperwork's in order. I live here, man. <laughs> right.
2: Hey, well, we thank you for your time, bro. And uh, again, we'll, we'll have a part two and we can dive in more into the real estate game. And uh, I, th- I think the listeners got a lot from you today. So yeah, next, it, next time man. bring
1: your drink too, man. We need you to pour
0: up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Let's do a special uh Friday Saturday tape and I, I have my henny. I <laughs> mean, it won't be hops, but it'll be hops and henny. <laughs>
2: hey you put me onto that henny and sprite. I I still I still I'll I'll order that now, that henny and sprite.
0: Oh yeah, it's real slick when you don't want to do too much, but you want to do a little more than what you normally do. But, <laughs> hey Chris,
4: what was that uh you normally drink, what would you drink with that tonic the last time you came home and was over here? What was it? What would you oh, Well, we I think
0: we had some vodka and tonic, right?
4: Okay. Okay. That's what it was. Go- it yeah, was goose. You tonic. like
2: the goose, right? Okay. Okay. Yeah, my, So at this point, at know this know. point, all this recording will be just cut. So we hey, can just, let's,
1: let's let's sign out you. real quick. Yeah. Let's no, wrap right. We didn't push the wrap.
3: Once again, thanks for checking in is our podcast. We'll see you on the next episode. All right, holler.
1: We love y'all. Be a shelter of a man if we ever depart from our heart to I'm riding
3: with you. I'm with you.
0: Presented by 100 Media Group. We encourage our listeners to drink responsibly. Please know we are not financial advisors. We do not offer or provide financial advice. Trademark copyrighted by 100 Spoke Media Group.